What is going on, Pooch Crew? Thank you for being here for episode 71 of the Poochie Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in, joining, whether it's on podcast platforms or on YouTube. Thank you for being here to watch episode 71, and I'm excited for today's episode. This podcast started out by interviewing people, and here we are again with a fantastic athlete lined up for today's interview. I figured now would be an appropriate time to release this episode, given the fact that 90% of the country is in the middle of a deep freeze, and his sport revolves a lot around how cold the water can get. So he is uh, excited to be here. I know that, and I'm excited to have him on the Puji podcast. If you're not already doing it, go follow us on all social media platforms and be sure to subscribe and notify on YouTube as well to help out the podcast. Help me out any way you can. I appreciate you being here. And speaking of cold weather and bad weather, Tampa Bay Lightning game postponed Thursday night in Dallas due to weather. Who would have thought in the middle of a pandemic, weather would be what postponed a hockey game? I, I That is beyond me, but hey, I guess... It's just 2021, right? 2020 never stopped. I don't know. But lightning game postponed. Hockey games are being postponed. Basketball is rolling forward. College basketball is approaching conference tournaments. The world of sports is fantastic. And if you haven't already, follow our Instagram for Poojie Parlay four packs. Every so often throughout the week, they pop up pretty randomly. So be sure to go follow the Instagram to go win some money with the Poojie Parlay four pack picks. Parlay them. Take them straight up one-offs, whatever you want to do, and be sure to always submit your picks to me. I love to see what you guys are doing. I love posting them. I love giving you guys shout-outs. And if there's any athletes out there, anyone in the sports world that you think I should interview, let me know, and I'll reach out to them, and I'll interview them. Or if there's any topics you want me to discuss, similar to the Gus Malzahn to UCF video that I released a few days ago, let me know that as well. I love doing those short videos for the fans out there that like to listen like to get my opinion on some of the things going on in the world of sports. So without further ado, thank you again for being here and enjoy this episode. As always, proudly sponsored by Cimarron Golf Club. Love what they do over there on County Road 210, just west of St. John's Parkway. And with a lot of sports coming up, be sure to go check out Strings Sports Brewery on Main Street, just north of downtown Jacksonville. They do a fantastic job there as well. So big shout outs to the sponsors. But enjoy episode 71. Thanks for being here. Very excited to have our next guest join the program. Uh, 2018 gold medalist, three-time U.S. national champion, uh, formerly with Team Schuster, currently a U.S. curling ambassador uh, travels around the country uh, to do some work with different curling clubs in the areas and I uh, just want to welcome him on Tyler George thanks for being here man yeah happy to be here we got a lot of time on our hands nowadays so it's fun to do this stuff it is it's uh, it's enjoyable to be able to sit down and talk with various people and, and enjoy some good sports conversation and being here in Jacksonville curling maybe isn't one of the most hot topic sports but I know back in 2018 when the Olympics were going on, the U.S. curling team took the world by storm. So excited to kind of dip into that match a little bit, um, kind of hear your thoughts on how things went and just general topics on the sport of curling. So uh, if you could tell me how it is qualifying for the Olympics, going through the worlds, things like that. How does a team become a nationally recognized team? 
Well, I, just to get to the point where uh, you can play at an international level, obviously it's a, it's a lifetime of practice and training. But uh, just to get to the Olympics themselves, uh, the qualification process is it's a long process. It's uh, qualifying through your points through the World Curling Tour. Uh, and then uh, it could be finished at the World Championships, too. We have four or five different criteria that we use to qualify ourselves for the tournament, the Olympic trials itself, which is what actually sends our team to the Olympics. And the country has to qualify for the Olympics, too. So we're not guaranteed a spot just because we won gold in 2018 either the, the u.s still has to requalify for the world champ or i'm sorry for the uh, for the olympics through the world championships so if uh our team finishes for whatever team we send from our country the worlds finishes high enough in the world championships in the two years leading up to the olympics then we don't have to go and play in the big tournament that they have for the final couple spots so it's an auto qualifier if we're ranked in the top seven I believe it is based on two years leading into the Olympics themselves. So uh, even the, the year that we went, uh, 2018, we still had to qualify, even though we were the number one ranked team in the country and had represented the U.S. Uh, three consecutive years at the World Championships. We still had to win our Olympic trials just to go. So uh, it's, a, it's a long road for any U.S. team to get there. Uh, it's not a selection process or anything like that. You know, you win as a team and, uh, and we were fortunate to come through that process and have the opportunity to represent our country at the Olympics. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that about the qualifying, not a lot of people would realize that there's so many years that go up, uh, go into qualifying to get into the Olympics and you're not automatically qualified just for simply holding the gold medal. So what's the outlook on the, I guess, future for, for curling in the United States? Is it positive? Like, was this, you know, a shot in the dark? Was this a flash in the pan or is curling in the U S really becoming a, uh, I guess, a stronghold in the winter Olympic sports. Uh, for our continued success at the Olympics, it's tough to say, I mean, it, the rest of the world has gotten so much better. Like the field is so much deeper than it was even in 2014. Uh, and especially 2010, 2006, the bottom of the field teams were uh, a lot weaker and basically guaranteed wins for the top. And that's not the case anymore. Even you look at the Olympics in 2018, uh, the team that finished second to last was the world silver medalist from 2016. So uh, it's just not possible to, to walk through a field like that, even for the top teams like Sweden and Canada. Uh, but you're seeing a lot more interest in the United States now because of our success, which is I, my favorite part about everything that's happened is that we get to bring our sport to the masses. And uh, through my role as ambassador for USA Curling, I get to have a big part in that. And I get to see it firsthand. And even visiting places like Jacksonville and Orlando, West Palm Beach, uh, all have curling clubs down there that I visited last year for work. And uh, that's not so bad when my old team is up in Saskatoon and three feet of snow and I send them pictures from the pool in West Palm. And uh, it's it's a pretty good gig. But, but the numbers across the country are growing. And that's only going to help our talent pool for the future and help us try to stay on top of the podium. And it's going to be a long haul for the guys that are still playing because there are so many good elite teams out there now. But the more people we get involved in sport, the more we grow club membership, the more we get people interested in it. That's just going to help us down the road. And we're going to see the, the dividends, I think, and more for the following Olympics, the 2026 and 2030 games as opposed to the 2022 games, which will still be most of the same elite teams that you've seen over the last four to eight years in the U.S. And you mentioned uh, that Sweden team, you mentioned the Canadian team. 
Um, actually, this past Olympics, um, if, if I'm correct in saying this, this was the first Winter Olympics that Canada um, did not medal in the, game, in the sport of curling um, since it, it got reintroduced into the sport back in 1998 so or back into the olympics in 1998 so uh, you talk about that type of parity within the sport we've already seen it this past olympics where uh canada didn't qualify or didn't uh, medal um even in the bronze medal match so uh the u.s has now i guess captured two medals in curling since 1998 with uh 2006 winning the bronze in turin italy and then uh, obviously 2018 winning the gold um in in the uh the gold medal match against Sweden, which is right here behind me, uh, which I do want to get into briefly. Um, an amazing match. It was tied 5-5 going into the eighth end, I want to say. Uh, and then the floodgates opened up. And Schuster, Schuster had a throw at the end of the end uh, that set the U.S. up for the gold medal. Um, take me through your thoughts or what was going through your, your minds during that end. And I guess right there afterwards, trying to hold your focus knowing what had just happened. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting end because uh, the five points, it, it, I mean, it's incredibly dramatic. It's not something that either of us could have possibly expected to happen in this situation. But the reason that something like that happens is because, and Nicholas uh, had a quote about this after the game too, that it really didn't matter if it was two points or five points, we're probably going to win. So once you get in a situation where you don't think you can bail and play defense, then it's all out offense and they had to take chances. So, so once it looked like it was going to be two, three points, then uh, that's how it turns into five because they have to get ultra aggressive and we could kind of feel it coming the entire end too. Uh, the, when we got our third counter in the rings, the one that's in the outside, the biter that was kind of a plan B type of shot where we weren't really trying to, to make it the way that we did. Uh, that's when we started looking at it and we saw they had one rock in, we have three rocks in, we have hammer last shot. So we have a big advantage that far into the end. And the mics even caught me, uh, going back down the sheet saying to Matt Hamilton that, that it's getting lonely in there. Like that, that rock is getting awful lonely. So we knew that their margin for error got really small halfway through the end and that they were going to have to play more aggressive than they normally would in that situation. And that's not something that you want to do when you don't have the last shot. That's a major advantage for us, obviously. So to expect to score something like four or five points would be crazy. You know, it's the second biggest end ever scored in Olympic history, let alone the gold medal game. So uh, even though we could still feel it coming, we're really just hoping to score two or three and we feel like we're going to win the game there. So, so Nicholas, once he gets to the end and he realizes, yeah, we're, we're looking at three, four, five, he's still trying to steal one or somehow force us to one. And that'd be a victory for him. But uh, the shots just kind of came down the way they did. And then John had a relatively makeable shot for that five. You know, it's the big dramatic moment, uh, but it's a shot I would expect him to make. And obviously it's a lot different throwing it with the top of the podium at stake. Because uh, if we score five, we know it's that's game over. You know, normally the other team would probably concede at that point. Uh, but uh, sitting in the in the house, waiting for that shot to come down, and you know, thinking here. So I don't remember thinking very many things during the game, but I remember sitting there waiting for John to throw that shot and just saying to myself, you know, like, come on, Johnny, one time, just throw good. And, and when he let it go, it was just exactly where it needed to be out of hand. So as long as the line did what we thought it would do and we called the sweep correctly, then we were going to make the shot. And we had a little margin for error with that one too, because if it did over curl and we didn't make the double, we still score two, which probably still makes us 80, 90% to win the game. 
And it's interesting you mentioned that about um, it was a makeable shot for Schuster. Um, obviously, here it is right behind me for those that want to see <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, perfect timing having it right here on the screen. So I'll uh, let it sit here for a second. That's very so, professional to time that out that way. That's right. Impressive. So he so he gets the double takeout. There's the, the smile on his face. Obviously, America at this point knows uh, the match is pretty much over. Obviously, you as athletes within the sport know that it's pretty much over. Um, but you mentioned, you know, it's a makeable shot. Uh, what, what is the pressure like when it comes down to these types of shots? Does it, is it, is it pretty systematic how the, the throwing works? Um, is it, is it just muscle memory? Um, how, how does that work uh, as far as the pressure goes in handling that? Well, I, ideally it's muscle memory. <laughs> uh, that's what you practice as a team and as an individual, your entire life for uh, is to be in that moment and have it be reflex. And it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, just to shut your brain off and be able to let your body take over and do what you've done a million times. So, you know, if that's a shot that you're throwing by yourself in practice or in a league game, then you're probably going to feel really confident. But uh, if you can shut out everything else and just focus on the little things and go through your routines, that's the biggest thing. Don't get out of your routines. Don't get out of your rhythm. Do the same things that you would normally do on any shot. And hopefully then you can block out the cameras, the noise, the situation, the pressure. It's all there. It's not that we don't know. It's not. But uh, I think the biggest reason why we won that game was because we handled the pressure of that situation better than the Swedes did. And it didn't hurt that we had their number. We were four and one against them in the last two years. Uh, So even though we were underdogs on paper, uh, that was the one team we wanted to play in that game. And that made us feel really comfortable going out and taking the ice. The the Canadians in the semi was our mountain. Like to, to beat them again after beating them in the round robin was that was the tall task to us. Once we got to the final, I mean, if you would have told us before the week that we're playing Sweden for gold, we would have said, let's go. No, that's, that's the one we want. Uh, and it's funny you know, talking about the pressure of the situation, like for eight ends, we had total tunnel vision. Like we, we didn't execute perfectly all the time, uh, but we made big shots and we stepped up in big moments. But I don't really remember thinking very many things for the first eight ends, but after eighth, when you get five, that's not something that you could be prepared for. And all of a sudden it's good God, you know, we're, we're probably going to win this thing if we don't you know, fall all over ourselves and it's impossible for those thoughts not to creep in. So the final four shots that I threw in that game, I can remember exactly what I was thinking, but I don't remember anything before that. And it's basically just don't fall down. Don't mess up, you know, and because it's just not something that you, you could have been prepared for. So uh, I missed my first shot in the ninth end, uh, the one following the eighth. It was my only complete miss of the game. I, I played one of the best games in my life, uh, but uh, I I threw a rock badly because I got out of my routine. You know, I got too anxious to get it over with and throw it, even though it was a fairly simple shot, and I missed. And then I took my time on the next one, or uh, actually, it was a, sorry, my second shot of the the ninth end. So I made the first and missed the second. But then I had two very similar shots in the tenth to finish, and. It was really just, man, just stay upright, you know, just get the rock out of your hand, but still take your time. And once we had those done, you could just see it wash over us, you know, the realization that it's it's really over now. There's nothing left to do. And uh, playing a team like Sweden, you don't expect to be in that situation. Either you, you would think that it's going to be tight right down to the end, and for eight ends it was. Uh, but having that cushion when – everything's on the table. I, I think it really would have been easier to make those shots at the end of the game if it was a closer game, honestly, 
because then you're still just in that same tunnel vision and you never leave it at any point. But, but the five point end throws you off of it so much and trying to recollect yourself and refocus and not uh, get out of those routines. That was the toughest part of that whole game. Once you get on the ice and you get started, then you're comfortable. You're just playing another game. But once it's right there for the taking and you know it, then that's when all those thoughts come rushing in. That's when the mental struggle really starts. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that cushion because I would imagine after something like that, it's easy to lose focus a little bit. Uh, luckily, it happened in the eighth end, so you only had two ends left to get through, and um, you had that five-point cushion, which, like you said, was very much unexpected. One in the gold medal match, two against the Swedes, and the uh, Swedish women went on to win the gold medal, actually, uh, I think the next night, well, would have been that same day out there in Pyeongchang, but they went on to win the gold, the women did. So you guys kept the Swedes from capturing both the men's and the women's, which is obviously a nice little uh, feather in the cap, I guess you could say. But I do want to ask you just a few questions, uh, you know, brief answers, just about the sport itself. Um, when it comes down to it, I, I know a lot of people maybe don't know the the specifics behind curling. So you've done a good job kind of painting the picture of the sport itself. But the the stone itself, how much does the stone weigh? Um, you know, heavy? Is it easy to throw? How does it, you know, how does that work? Stones generally weigh around 42 pounds. It can be a little bit lighter, a little bit heavier, depending on the club you're playing in. But 42 is what most stones are. And if you picked it up and carried it around, you think, how, how would you even move this thing like when you're playing on the ice? But you'd be surprised how easily the stones actually move on the ice surface. So there's only a very small running surface that touches the ice for the rock itself. But in order, and you can tell just from watching guys slide and throw the rock, like how easily it actually moves down the sheet. And some sheets are faster than others. Some are slower. Some rocks are faster and slower than others. Some curl more than others. Some are straighter. So I mean, we have to learn the sets too. So we have books on these rocks, especially for major competitions. But uh, yeah, it, anybody could throw a rock. Like if you if you're big enough to do it, you know, I'd say like a nine, ten year old kid is about you know the age where you should be able to move it fairly easily. Doesn't mean that you could throw it as hard as some of the pros, but just for getting the rock to the other end and trying to get it into the the house, you know, it's about a hundred and forty feet sheet. Uh, but we were able to get the rock down without much trouble. And that's one of the great things about our sport is it's kind of like golf in that anybody can do it at some level. Uh, it's a lot more physically demanding than it looks like. Sweeping is incredibly difficult. The balance that it takes to throw a 42-pound stone down a sheet of ice while sliding on a Teflon or steel slider is much more difficult than you'd think too. Uh, but you know, once you've gotten the the hang of the basics, you have some kind of modicum of understanding of it, then it is like golf where you can play league. You can, you can play uh, and make uh, any random shot fairly early on, but mastering the game and getting all the ins and outs of it and the, uh, the nuance and the strategy and the consistency is, again, similar to golf. And, yeah, you did it once, but can you do it again? Can you do it again? Can you do it again? Okay, can, you, can you do it when there's pressure? Can you make this shot, you know, this turn? Uh, can you read the ice? Can you read the rocks? You know, there's just so many tiny little things that go into playing at this level where we were. Uh, but the the great part about being an ambassador for the sport and taking people out to try it is that number one, they get a healthy uh, appreciation of how difficult it is because the only time that people really see it for the most part is during the Olympics. So if the only time you watch a sport is when 
the best in the world are doing it, then it's probably going to look pretty easy. But then you go out and try it and you say, okay, it's nothing like what we thought it was. And, and people really get hooked really fast. And it's not just the game itself, but the community of people. You know, if you remember at a curling club, they, they bring you in with open arms from day one. And it doesn't matter uh, where you're from, anything like that. It's not a clicky sport at all. Uh, you have friends and family in every city where there's a curling club. Curlers all stick together. The, the Swedes that we played against for gold, uh, two of the guys came to my teammate's wedding the previous summer before we played them. Uh, we still play fantasy football with the Canadian guys. You know, the, it's, it's a really tight-knit group top to bottom, and it never stops even through the elite levels of the sport. And the game itself gets you hooked, but then the community is what keeps you around. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that type of relationship. I'm sure actually being at the Olympics and being around these guys so frequently year in and year out. And then, you know, every four years at the Olympics creates that type of community you talk about and makes the sport more enjoyable just to be a part of. So uh, it's it's definitely cool you mentioned that. Um, as far as the brooms go, are both brooms... Uh, used for the same uh, reasoning, I guess, to, to, to slow the rock down, to speed it up? How, how do the brooms, I guess, factor in uh, the sweeping factor into the sport itself? Well, you, you can't slow a rock down with sweeping. Uh, so that's why they always say that the best misses are short or light, because if you throw it too hard, then you, you, all you can do is watch it. There's nothing you can do. Like if you're trying to get it to stop in a specific place, uh, if you're throwing uh, for line, then uh, you it, you can make the rock curl a little bit. This is a newer development in the sport, uh, but very little. And it's a lot easier to hold a rock straight with sweeping than it is to make it curl. So still the best misses are on the narrow side, on the light side, but wide and heavy. They, they always say wide and heavy is the worst miss in curling because there's nothing you can do to help it. So you're throwing to sweepers as much as possible so that they can have the most effect. The best sweepers in the world can probably carry a rock up to 12 feet, which is the entire diameter of the house. So if, uh, if you throw a rock too hard, again, you're just kind of walking with it. And you can't do anything about it, but uh, sweepers can read the weight. They can say, okay, we think we need to go on this to make it go as far as we want to. Or if it's not thrown with the right velocity for a hit, then the slower a rock goes, the more it curls. So if a rock is thrown too soft, then it might overcurl too. So that's what the yelling is about all the time, that communication between the shooter, the sweeper, and the skip, the guy in the house, because they're talking about the line of the shot and talking about the weight of the shot. Because let's say you throw a rock that looks like it's going to be uh, thrown too hard on a hit, so it's, it's not going to curl as much, but it's also thrown on a tight line, then you probably still don't need to sweep it because... It's going to curl less, but you don't need it to curl as much because the line is tighter. So that constant communication between the sweepers and the skip and the shooters is what makes shots. So the teams that do that the best, not even necessarily the guys that throw the rock the best, but it's the ones that manage each shot and communicate the best and read the ice the best. So all these factors go into each and every shot that we throw, even the simple ones. So that's why you never hear somebody just throw a shot and it's dead quiet. You know, there's always some kind of communication, even if it's saying that, we're on the right path. You know, everything's good. Then the sweepers are saying that the weight's good. And the skip's probably saying something like clean. Like that just means brush in front of the rock, make sure nothing gets underneath it because we're right where we need to be. And I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the yelling and stuff, obviously watching at home. I have no idea what the yelling is all about as I'm sure very few people do, unless they are in the sport of curling. 
but it is fun to just be able to yell um, at the TV with whatever else is being yelled on the ice and no idea what, what it means, but it's fun to do. Uh, makes you feel like you're, you're involved in it and everything, but Tyler, it's been great talking to you. My last question, more of a funny question for you. Um, is there a specific title for the first, um, I guess, throw of a curling match, something that signifies almost like a first pitch in baseball or kickoff start time in football? Is there something like that for curling? Yeah, I'd love to tell you that there was, but uh, no, there is no specific name for the first shot of a game. It's just really the first shot. So if you want to coin one and come up with one yourself, maybe it'll stick. But yeah, there there is no name for the first shot of the game. It's just the first shot. So we'll put that on you. If you can come up with a good one, we'll see if we can get it to to trend or catch on. Yeah, so there's there's been a lot of kind of thoughts through my head about this because I've always felt like there needs to be one, but... Uh, just through myself and some friends at the office uh, that I work at, we've considered the first slide to be the first throw of the game. So uh, you come in the office, hey, when's first slide today? It's an easier way to say when's the curling match start. So if we could petition to get first slide as the official, I guess, term to be used for the first throw, that would be fantastic. And you have a lot more say in it than I do. So I would need your help <laughs> with this, but I'm, I'm fully on board with the first slide. All right, you get, you get it up on Twitter, and we'll see if we can get it trending. We'll see if we can get some support behind this movement. I'm a, I'm a big fan of grassroots stuff, so let's uh, let's see if we can do it. We'll work together. Awesome, awesome. Well, sounds good, Tyler. Thanks again for being here, and uh, you stay safe through these times. And uh, looking forward to getting back out on the, uh, I guess, curling sheet for yourselves and, and being able to watch some, uh, some curling myself on TV here uh, in the coming years with the uh, 2022 Olympics uh, set to take place still. So uh, excited for that, but thanks again for being here. Happy to do it, man. Be well, be safe. How can I be the man when you're the man? How can I be the man when you're the man? How can I be the man when you're the man?